turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Jeremiah. To the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 9, the Bibles that are here on the table that can be found on page 370 of the smaller print version, or page 711, if you have one of the few larger print versions that are out there. Jeremiah chapter 9. I want you to listen to Jeremiah, who after nine chapters of warnings and grieving over the rebellion of the people of Judah, says this, beginning now in verse 23 of chapter 9. Just verses 23 and 24 for now. Jeremiah 9. Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. According to Jeremiah, don't leave that text yet, but according to Jeremiah, There can be only one legitimate ground for boasting. There can be only one ground for confidence, one basis for hope, one thing to look to for security in the future. Let the one who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that she understands and knows me. And then the Lord defines who he is. Is that not wonderful? So this is is one part of knowing the Lord. Check and see if this matches what you understand of him, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. We're at the end of Galatians. And dear friends, I have this question for us. Do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord who practices steadfast love, who who shows mercy, who demonstrates kindness, who forgives sin? It's at the very heart of who he is. In fact, it's his very name. Exodus 34, verse 6, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord who practices justice? The one who will by no means clear the guilty, Exodus 34, verse 7, The God who uncovers the deeps out of darkness and brings deep darkness to light, Job 12, 
verse 22. Who one day will enter into judgment with his creation. Do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord who practices righteousness? He says in Jeremiah. Who is faithful to fulfill his promises. Who lives and acts in accordance with his word. There is no other God besides me. The Lord says in Isaiah 45, verse 21, There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is no one besides me. Do you know the Lord? Because if you know the Lord, what does Jeremiah say you will do? He says you will boast. You will boast. You will express your confidence in. You will base your hope on. You will look for your security in the Lord. And only in the Lord. And therefore not in the other main options that we humans naturally default to for those things. You will not boast in human-centered wisdom, nor in might, nor in riches. I mean, lest you think the world's changed much since Jeremiah's day. It's still wisdom, worldly wisdom, and might, and riches. That this world holds out as sources of security and hope, is it not? So that the proper object of our boasting, everybody boasts. The proper object of our boasting, everybody trusts in something, is to boast in the Lord. In understanding and knowing the Lord, Jeremiah says, do you know him? Or here's another question. Why exactly does it matter that you boast in him? And that your boast is not in these other things, according to Jeremiah. Can you answer that? You don't have to guess at it, because Jeremiah carries on. So now, if you're still there, in Jeremiah 9, look now at verses 25 and 26 of Jeremiah 9. Here's why it matters what you boast in. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Judah, Judah second in this list, Judah. Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Matters what you boast in. Because one day judgment will come. And on that day, says the Lord, the people of Israel will find that they have not understood me. They'll find they have not known me. And it seems that they'll be somewhat surprised to find that out. If you want to, flip back a couple chapters to Jeremiah 7. 
or just listen as you wish, beginning in verse 9 of Jeremiah 7. Keeping in mind what's coming there that we just read, you can turn back those two chapters to Jeremiah 7, verse 9, where the Lord is again speaking to Judah. Listen to these words. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered. I mean, they thought they were okay. They thought they knew the Lord. And they didn't know the Lord. Will you do all these things and then come and say, We are delivered? Jeremiah goes on only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. And then if you're there, jump ahead in that same chapter, Jeremiah 7 to verse 22. We're getting to Galatians. Verse 22. The Lord continues, For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices, but this command I gave them, Obey my voice and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. And from the day your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call them, but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, This is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept their discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. Cut off your hair and cast it away. Raise a lamentation on the bare heights, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. And so we read it in Jeremiah chapter 9 a moment ago. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. That includes Israel. It's exactly what the people of Israel themselves were, circumcised merely in the flesh. For all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart, Jeremiah says, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Do you know the Lord? 
Our text this morning as we hear from the living God and His Word is Galatians 6, verses 11 to 18. And you can turn there now. It's what Darren read. It's the end of Galatians. Though we're going to be two weeks in this text, so don't be too excited yet. One more to go. And it will be next week, verses 15 and 16, that will mostly be in our focus, but having just heard Jeremiah, look at what Paul says in verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. New hearts. New covenant. You see, there it is. There's the point of Galatians in one verse. Do you see it? Do you understand it? In light of Jeremiah 7 and 9 that I just read, can you see or begin to see Why Paul can say, neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. And therefore, why the teaching of these Jerusalem agitators that the Galatians have been exposed to and that Paul's forcefully countering in this letter is to be rejected in Galatia. This isn't some new teaching that Paul starts with here. I begin with a text like Jeremiah 9. Not just because I think it's in the background of this text, though it is, but because I want you to see that it's never been about the act of physical circumcision, friends. That it's only always been about the heart, about the circumcised heart, which the circumcised flesh was to point to, but not replace. It's only always been about the hearing of faith. It's only always been about walking with the Lord. It's only always been about being like Abraham, who obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, according to Genesis chapter 26, verse 5. And we looked at the life of faith in Abraham. Now, I don't think we've read it before this in our Galatians series, though maybe I did at one point, but even if we had, it's worth reading again. Just listen here to Romans chapter 2. A parallel thought to Galatians 6 here. Romans 2 stands out. Romans 2 verses 25 to 29. Listen to these words from Paul. For circumcision, he says, indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Here's the key verse. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, 
nor is circumcision outward and physical. This is so crucial to how you read the Bible. To what you think God's been up to in history. But a Jew is one inwardly, Paul says. Circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit. Not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And because of all of that, because of the centrality of faith, of obedience, of walking with the Lord, because the new creation is all that matters, and there we will be next week in full, because new creation is all that matters, because of all of that, it turns out that in the end, what it all comes down to is the cross. Because it's at the cross that we finally fully understand and know who the Lord is. What our response is to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, that becomes the all-important determining factor. So look first now in Galatians 6 at verse 13 to see this. Or to begin to see this, Paul writes, verse 13 of Galatians 6, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, Paul says. Oh, what a statement. He's talking there about those agitators from Jerusalem, those who've been teaching these Galatians that you have to be circumcised to know the full blessing of God, to be saved, to be delivered. Don't be deceived, Galatians. Do not be deceived, they may be circumcised in the flesh, but they remain uncircumcised in heart. You see? It's Jeremiah. And how does Paul know that they're uncircumcised in heart? It's because of what he says in verse 12, which is the clearest statement of the motivation of these agitators in the whole letter. It comes right at the end. Like, why didn't he say this at the beginning? It's right at the end of the letter. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, Galatians. And only, Paul says, in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. It's in how they respond to the cross. Does that make sense? Now let me try to explain verse 12 a bit, and then we'll move back into verses 13 and 14. So hang in there. According to Paul, these agitators who came from Jerusalem had devised a plan to avoid persecution, to save face, to make a good showing in the flesh. And it entailed the Galatians getting circumcised so that they would become look-alike Jews, right? Because according to Paul, that was the plan, not ultimately because the agitators really even believed that that was necessary or not. I mean, maybe they did. It was the plan. So that the agitators from Jerusalem could avoid the harassment of the non-believing Jews back in Jerusalem who hated the fact that they were interacting with these Gentiles. Or it could be that the agitators were in fact seeking out these Gentile Messiah followers in order to make them Jews by their definition of that term, not Paul's. 
and thereby to earn the praise of their associates back in Jerusalem. Either way, as Paul sees it, it was to keep in good standing with non-Christ believing Jews back into Jerusalem that these supposedly believing Jews would insist that these non-Jewish Gentiles be circumcised. So that then these agitators would avoid persecution from their Jewish friends back in Jerusalem. In fact, Paul says, they'd be able to boast in your flesh, literally, in your flesh. I mean, no reason to feel uncomfortable because of Jesus, right? We might profess the cross. These agitators claimed to be Messiah followers. They profess the cross in some way, but Paul says, in effect, they aren't willing to live the cross. Their boast isn't in the cross. Their boast isn't in understanding and knowing the Lord at all. It's in the second part of verse 13 now that we find out what they desi- that they desire the circumcision of the Galatians. Only, Paul says, that they may boast in your flesh. The agitators weren't concerned with anyone's best interest except their own. From Paul's perspective, they were dodging the costly implications of the cross. And so it might be a good moment to check in. Do you do that? Do I do that? Do we in some way in our lives dodge the cross? Avoid its shame? We may claim it, we may display it, we may even wear it. But in truth, are we really willing to live it? To be associated with it even when others would reject us as the agitators knew their Jewish associates back in Jerusalem would do. Even when they would mock or exclude us, are there ways we're not willing to associate ourselves with the Lord Jesus? Maybe around particular moral issues, or in the use of our time, or in the way we publicly identify or the subjects we choose to talk about with others at work or at school or the way we just ever so subtly steer conversations away from Jesus and what we know about the Lord. What are you boasting in, brothers and sisters? Or maybe in some other way that we avoid suffering somehow for the sake of others, for the gospel. All our circumstances are different. I don't know the pressures on your life. I don't know the dynamics. I don't know who you know and what they know and how they know the Lord or don't know the Lord and what it is that your life every day is saying to them. But ask yourself the question. Because Paul's making a very strong point about the agitators here. 
They didn't love the Galatians. Quite the opposite. They wanted to use the Galatians for their own glory or for their safety. Their insistence on the requirement of circumcision masked the fact that they themselves didn't keep the law. Which we know after chapters 5 and 6 of this book is the case because they did not love, because they did not walk by the Spirit, because they did not live by faith. Galatians, you have the Spirit. Galatians, you have the hearing of faith. Time and again, we've seen this argument in Paul's letter. Paul's point, Paul's judgment could not be more serious. That the agitators remain uncircumcised in heart. They do not boast in the Lord. Because they do not know him. And so they reject the cross. Because verse 14 now, in contrast with the agitators, verse 14, Paul says this, But far be it from me, Galatians. I mean, right? He's writing in big letters now. This is his part of the letter. In, in traditional custom, like in many cases, he, Paul would have dictated this letter to an amanuensis who was dictating it, and then Paul takes the parchment and writes the final bit himself. Far be it from me, Galatians, to boast. Me, you, my children in the Lord, for whom I'm again in labor pains that Christ would be formed in you, right? From earlier in the book. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And right there, Paul's drawn the line as boldly as he can. Do you see? Because what does Jeremiah 9 say? Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let the one who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Do you see? Paul's saying to the Galatians, I know the Lord. And the agitators don't. Brothers and sisters, I'm trying to get you to see that to boast in the cross of Jesus is to understand and know the Lord. Do you see that? It's so obviously true that you already know it. But make the connection anyway. That to boast in the cross is to do what Jeremiah says we must do. It is to trust in the one thing Jeremiah says we must trust in. It is to trust in the Lord, or in the language of Galatians, it is to have faith. Because you can hold up the Jeremiah passage and the Galatians passage and see how it works. The cross is the final full expression of who the Lord is. I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness, he says in Jeremiah 9. It's the cross that ultimately displays God's steadfast love, right? As Jesus died to bring about the forgiveness of our sins, that the mercy and kindness of God could be realized in our lives, next week, new creation, work of the Spirit. It's the cross that is the ultimate display of God's justice, is it not? 
finding a way to deal with sin. The cross as the means by which we're forgiven and cleansed of sin, the foundation of everything God wants to do in his people. It's the cross that is the ultimate display of God's righteousness. Is it not? The fulfillment of his promises, of his word to one day deliver his people from their sins, to save them. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, Paul says in Romans 3, the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus. It's all there. Or you could put all this then the way Paul does, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's why we embrace the cross. That's why we boast in it. That's why that horrific instrument of execution despised in the ancient world, Gentile and Jew alike, despised the crucifixion as a means of execution in the ancient world. Why that very stumbling block that the Messiah dies that way becomes the ground of our boasting. Because Paul says the cross kills the deadly world, brothers and sisters, which is the very thing you need to have happen. And how does it do that? How does the cross crucify the world to you and to me? It was Galatians 5, verse 24. We read it before. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The world has been crucified to Paul and Paul to the world. The two are dead to each other. Sin no longer has dominion in you, Christian Galatian. You've been set free. And it's all because of the cross so that Paul can look at the pleasures that the world offers, the securities it holds forth in riches, in might, in power, in wisdom. And his boast is not in those things. The world is dead to Paul. And the world can look back at Paul or at you or at me and will likely conclude that we're failing, lost, crazy, because we're not running after those things the world says matter, that the world says give hope and security and a future. Paul is dead to the world. What will you do in moments like those? Will we indeed boast in the cross, identifying with Jesus, unafraid of the scorn of the world? Or will we in some way dodge the cross that we may not be persecuted for it? The choice we make reveals much. When we're confident in the cross of Christ, even to the point of boasting in it, that's when we start thinking radical thoughts and doing radical things like loving others the way God does. Like being willing even to suffer for the good of others. This was Paul's attitude. 
And we'll come fully to verses 15 and 16 next week, but just to conclude this morning, look at verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, Paul says. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. That is Paul's final rebuff to his opponents. That is Paul's final closing appeal to the Galatians. And what is it? It's an appeal that points to his sufferings as the sign of his authenticity and of his gospel's authenticity. And I should say, it's not entirely clear what Paul references by the marks of Jesus there, but I'm with most commentators who would suggest that the marks of Jesus to which Paul refers are the visible, tangible reminders of how he suffered with Christ for the advance of the gospel and the good of others. He's referring, I think, to the wounds and the scars he carries around with him on his body, the ones he acquired in the service of the gospel, because they prove where his boasting is. Right? What his confidence is in. Where his hope resides. Where he finds his security. Friends, it may not be that we will ever face that kind of physical opposition that Paul did that Christians in other parts of the world do today. But there are other kinds of marks that come. Do we bear them? Are we willing to bear them? Do we boast in the Lord? Do we know the Lord? Do we know the Lord? Are our hearts circumcised? Is our identification with Jesus and our love and service of others so clear that it becomes costly sometimes? Are the marks of Jesus in our bank accounts? Are the marks of Jesus on our calendars, in our schedules? Are the marks of Jesus evident to anyone else who knows you? Do people know that you boast in the cross? That you boast in knowing and loving the Lord? That this is what you look to for every good thing in your future that extends to eternity? And nowhere else. Paul leaves the Galatians with no illusions. The Christian life will be cross-shaped. For it is that in which we boast, Paul seems to finally be saying, that will shape our lives. But far be it from me, Galatians, to boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.